Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Good morning. I'm Mikkel, one of the co-hosts of Almost Awakened. This morning we've got Bill and we're interviewing Steve Conlin from Five Wives Vodka. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So I, I reached out to you um, maybe a week ago. I just was interested in, I've heard of Five Wives Vodka, but um, maybe tell us a little bit about your story, how you guys got started. And I'm most interested, I guess, in the name Why Five Wives. <laughs> okay. Well, you're going going back in time a little bit. <laughs> um, so we started in Ogden, Utah in 2009 as a really small boutique um, distillery. And when I say boutique, we started in a, basically a garage, you know, I mean, it's kind of the sounds um, cliche, but it was one of those units with a small office up front and, you know, a garage area in the back, which uh, is probably about 1800 square feet. And we started with a product called underground. And in 2012, we came out with five wives vodka and um, five wives, the name, you know, I don't get any credit for it. Uh, I had a friend in, in St. Louis who had lived in um, Utah and I was out visiting and I told her, I said, we're coming out with a, a vodka. I just can't think of a name, uh, what to call it. And I got back and about three days later, she called me and I picked up the phone and it was, she just said five wives. And I was said, five wives. What, what are you talking about? She was five wives vodka. And you know, I liked the alliteration of it. I liked um, the obvious jab at Utah, um, but yet there was a brand out there called Five Guys Burgers that didn't have um, a jab at anything as far as I knew. So I knew that the, the name could be considered pretty innocuous too um, in other areas that people didn't bring their baggage of, of polygamy um, to the product when they saw it. Um, so I just found it interesting and we started playing around with some imagery um, for the label and we came across the image that's on the bottle now, um, which is was a vaudeville group out of um, New York. We didn't know it at the time called the Barrison Sisters <laughs> and just their kitschiness um, and the humor it seemed to have and everything worked perfectly and, and we were off and running. So, you know, I I wish I could claim to have some, you know, really outstanding creative brain or something but it's really um i i see things that seem to kind of work and then when it's time to run with it i run with it and so um that's cool yeah that's um so five wives you know i'm not sure if your listeners are aware but when we came out with it at that point um about this time in 2013 we had released five wives in 2012 um right before memorial day actually um I, the state of Idaho banned our product. And so that kind of turned us into a, a little bit of a, um, a national discussion uh, point because there were some constitutional issues as to why they were banning it and everything. And so, so it started out as a product that um, caught a lot of people's attentions just because of the name. So it's been fun. I'm just, I'd love to jump into a little bit of that, that history. Um, 
I read a story the other day that said that there was some early event in Mormonism's history where there were like 66 guys coming across and there were five women. And is it, is your, is the name connected to a historical story? Um, no, I mean that, that was something that we d- discovered along the way and it, and it overlays nicely with the label. Um, but yeah, that's the, the original Mormon wagon train into the Valley evidently had 66 men and five women. And uh, so that was something that we uh, we didn't know that going into it, uh, but it was something we discovered, you know, as uh, <laughs> here's what really happened was we started getting a lot of notoriety for the name and and we started doing more research to learn about what um, how it how it fit the, the culture more because we really just liked the name. And we liked the imagery and that Barrison sisters photo that's on the on the cover or on the label. We had no clue who that was. And when we were getting all the notoriety in 2013, someone sent me a message like, why are you using the Harrison sisters on your, your logo? And we're like, I had no idea who that was. And so it turned into really a, a cool rabbit hole that we fell down with this label because <laughs> about five years ago, well, the best way to put it is the label I found on the internet was like an image that was, you know, your one inch 72 DPI that you couldn't use for a label because it just wouldn't hold together um, digitally. And so we did a lot of work with that. And then about five years ago, we, a friend of ours was watching Storage Wars and he found, or somebody found in one of their storage units, an original picture of the Barrison sisters from Missoula, Montana, um, back in 19... 19- or 1895 and uh we were able to actually buy that image on ebay and now it hangs in my office so we've got this big 24 inch print of this um you know image now so it's been just a, a fun uh fun ride so yeah that's the original black and white image that we had now i have a, one that's was basically hand colored used for a calendar way back when that's really cool um, i love it i i i'm interested in um, how you guys got started, like brewing or distilling vodka in the garage sounds kind of like, <laughs> yeah, you know. that, that all goes to Tim Smith. So Tim Smith's one of the found is the founding, um, member. Basically Tim and I were acquaintances and he had always, he had a product that he had developed at home called underground. It's an herbal spirit. It's much like a uh, Sambuca Jägermeister kind of, um, the history of, or out of the traditions of, of Europe. Almost every country has their own little herbal liqueur in Europe. And so he had, at the time, back in 2009, I mean, it's hard to just imagine that there was no such thing as Fireball for people who drink. Um, I mean, it existed, but it hadn't been marketed yet. And Jägermeister was the shot drink in bars. So we came out with a product that kind of would be a, a direct competitor with, with Jägermeister because it was a niche and, uh, we liked the flavor, and so we, we started there. And Tim had um, been kind of beating around Ogden, going to parties with his homebrew that he called Underground. And I had met him, and then you know he came to my office one day and said, "Hey, I'm really trying to bring this to market. What do you have any ideas?" And so we just sat down, brainstormed, and I had uh, a mortgage company at the time. Happened to know some friends of mine who had some liquid money. No, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, and I reached out to them because I'd done all their home loans and I kind of had a feel for whether that might be something they, they could do. And yeah, we threw together a shoestring budget and started the company in 2009. It was just, I, 
if people one day the story will be told about how shoestring this has always been. So, which is crazy now because this week we're moving into a new thirty-two thousand square foot facility that's going to have a music venue and a bar in it. And yeah, I mean it's it's been a, a fun ride. That's incredible. That's incredible. I um the branding is really fascinating. The the name Five Wives Vodka, and obviously it's been it's been a big hit with people. And I want to get into this this. Uh, legal battle that happened with Idaho, but mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm much I'm, I'm much more interested early on in this history about the effect it has because you can see it take place in Idaho, where um, Mormons there's some Mormons who are g- being offended by the fact that there's this connection, and yet I don't get it because it's the history, right? Like whether yeah. we like it or not, and and there is lots of. Um, certainly polygamy going on. And there are lots of facets of that polygamy with young brides and other men's wives and all the stuff that goes into Mormon history. And so it seems like a silly thing and no offense to people who get offended, I guess, but it (laughs) seems like a silly thing to get bothered by your own history and somebody else pointing to it. That's, that's the one side, which is the Mormons. And then the other side is the post Mormons, which I think on some level, something like this is one of these ways that people kind of take their power back and they, something that hurt them, they get to repurpose it for something else and feel like they've taken their life back and, and control of, of, of that journey back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think when you're dealing with, uh, I mean, you're touching on some really interesting ways to look at it. Um, I tend to look at it a little more simplistically because really what happened was <laughs> To me, it was the government digging their heels in when they were being forced to do something they really didn't want to do. And so they were making excuses along the way because the way that the whole thing played out was I actually received a letter from the state of Idaho um, because we had some bars special requesting the product in Idaho, which means that it's not – Idaho is a lot like Utah. It has a a, a state-run liquor system, so you have to be accepted by the state before it goes under their shelves. But there's a special order process, meaning that somebody can call you up from Idaho and say, I'd like this for my bar. Will you send it to the state of Idaho because I really want it? And then the state of Idaho gets it to these people, right? And that's just a normal process, and it usually happens without hassle. So what happens, I got a letter as a bar did that. It said uh, from the state of Idaho that said, Five Wives Vodka will never be allowed in the state of Idaho. And it's like, okay, great. Now we've got um, constitutional issues of commercial free speech. And so I actually went public with that and said, we've been banned. And so when in that letter, I believe the words were used, it said, because we find it offensive to a prominent segment of our population. Okay. So really what the government was doing was being offended for the people. Okay. I mean, I don't think there were Mormons in Idaho that were upset about our label. I really don't. I think that it was an excuse. And then um, as the the battle kind of waged on over the weeks um, and, you know, legal issues were getting involved and everything, they changed it to um, that it w- they found it offensive to women. And that goes back to if you pulled the, the label back up again, a lot of people never notice that there's little kittens in the bustles of the dresses where um, a specific woman's body part is. And so they found that that was they they transitioned to it being you know offensive to women, basically, because we had cats where their um, 
you know, where where their kittens would be. Um, <laughs> so, I love it, by the way. Yeah, yeah, um, I asked out the screen, but I'll bring it back up here in a minute for, okay. for viewers to see. Yeah, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people looked at our label and they've never even noticed it, right? But that takes us back to the Barrison sisters because that was their act at the end of the show. I don't know what the language is on this show, but um, when uh, at the end of their show, uh, this is just historical fact, they would ask everybody who's in the audience was generally men if they would like to see their pussies and they would hike up their skirts and they'd have cats in their dresses. <laughs> That's and awesome. so, so when you think about it in the big scheme of thing about how the Barrison sisters came full circle to being banned in Idaho because of what their vaudeville act was, is pretty crazy. So I don't know that, you know, you can really take it to the level of like there were actual Mormons in Idaho being offended other than the director of the liquor commission at the time, you know, and, and even then I think it was more of an excuse not to be um, told what to do. He wanted to, he wanted to that control you were talking about. Remind me what year this was, Steve. It was 2013. Yeah. 2013. So, so fascinating. It was May of 2013. I lived in Idaho in that time. And I was Mormon then, and I don't think liquor of any sort was on my radar whatsoever. So, and, and you know that exists um, in Utah. I mean, I know a lot of people who I run into are Mormon in Utah. They've never heard of our products because it's just not in their lane. It's just right. Yeah. So, and that was a great excuse for us. Was like, you know, what are they? Uh, not excuse. It's just another talking point for us at the time. Was well, what are they offended for? They shouldn't be in the liquor stores anyways, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, yeah, it's fun to look back on. I mean, it was we've made friends with Idaho since then. They're one, you know, one of our best customers. We have lots of products in in Idaho, and you know, it all worked out in the end. Uh, Super cool. Yeah. yeah, you can see them kind of hiking up their dresses. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've had a lot of fun with it. I think years. it's hilarious. Yeah, well, and that's like when I saw that image, um, you know, um, just just diving deep into the web. And I found that I was just like, this is the, the image. So we didn't change that image either. A lot of people always say, Oh, you put the cats in. I was like, no, no, there, <laughs> they were there. So. so recently with all of this COVID stuff, you guys have, um, I don't know if you've transitioned or, or what's changed in your process, but you guys are making hand sanitizer. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, again, kind of, you know, I, I don't want to go too deep into the weeds and bore people, but there were legal reasons why we couldn't make hand sanitizer. Um, and as this COVID thing started, a lot of people were messaging us saying, um, you guys should make hand sanitizers. There was a distillery up in Portland that had started doing it and that sort of thing. And um, our excuse had been, well, we don't have the exact permit from the government to be doing that. You have to have a, a special permit. And some distilleries have it, especially if they're making any tinctures or anything like that. Um and on March 18th, we got a letter from the Fed saying that we're authorizing all distilleries to be able to make that regardless of whether they have the other permit or not. So uh, long story short, we threw some labels together um, on Thursday, found some packaging on Thursday, um, the 19th. And on Friday, the 20th, we were selling hand sanitizer out of our place. And it has become... Um, well, the last five weeks, it's been all consuming. We, a lot of distilleries started making it um, and they, you know, would pump out a couple hundred gallons and give away some promotional bottles um, to, you know, help out and kudos to them. But we took it to a, a new level. 
for us, we've, um, as of Friday, produced 11,000 gallons of hand sanitizer. Um, we actually brought in a tanker truck of ethanol uh, from the Midwest, um, filled basically every vessel in our little building to pump out um, you know, about 8,000 gallons last week. And now we're moving into our new facility and we've got um, a tanker truck on the way um, of ethanol um, that will allow us to make about another 7,000 gallons next week. So it's been chaotic, um, but we've been um, just pumping it out and getting it out to everyone we can. Uh, we've <laughs> given it, it's been given to the FAA, the FDA, the um, U.S. meat inspectors, the um, FBI has contacted us. It's been crazy. We've been just um, state of Utah attorney general's office, uh, Navajo nation. We just um, sent four, four big, big um, containers down to their four different hospitals because they're being really hit by COVID right now. Uh, so it's been an eye-opening experience. I mean, the need was overwhelming. We, we thought we'd make a few hundred gallons too, you know, um, and just kind of see where it went. And by uh, Friday afternoon, we'd gone through like 500 gallons, wow. uh, had 200 people waiting in line. And we just, we had no clue. We, we were, you know, a lot of things you do in life, you, you do because you're too stupid to realize all the things that should stop you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we just, you know, the more complex and the more crazy it got, the more our, my team just tightened up and we just made things happen. So it's been, it's been a really rewarding five weeks, um, exhausting, but rewarding. Super cool. It is. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how, you know, the supply on things you, you walk into a grocery store three months ago and you just assume that you're always going to have easy access to all the things you need. I need some hamburger. Great. I need some steaks. Great. I need some hand sanitizers some toilet paper. No problem. And the reality is that our system is actually quite fragile. Exactly. And, and all of a sudden these things weren't there. Right. And so it's been really cool for me to see that, um, the, the supply chain um, had a need and you guys filled it. There are a lot of areas, especially metro areas that are being slammed by COVID. Yeah. And for you guys to send this out and to provide something that was missing from the marketplace that there wasn't enough of, uh, kudos to you guys. Well, thanks. And, you know, we haven't filled that need. The need is amazing. I mean, I still, it's five weeks. And yesterday we had a line about 10, 15 people deep at our place all day, Right. Um, but you know, I was on a packaging podcast just the other night. Um, I, I like I, who knew who knew there was a, a podcast dedicating to packaging. But what we talked about was that supply chain, and that's been the biggest challenge for us: is that um, you don't realize how fragile everything is from a packaging standpoint, right? I mean, if you were to right now, it's probably pretty easy to think about: hey, if I need a, a spray bottle, I can just run down to Bed Bath and Beyond or Target or wherever and, gra and grab a spray bottle. Well, with China shutting down, all production of all that stuff quit, right? And so once all the spray tops in America had been sucked up by every distillery in the in the country to make hand sanitizer, there's no more spray tops in the country right now. I'm hearing there won't be spray tops until probably June or July, right? So what you then do is start searching for alternatives. And then, you know, you buy all of that and then that's all gone. And then you search for another alternative and it, it's all gone. And then somebody calls you and goes, oh, I found, you know, 3,000 spray tops in a, in a warehouse somewhere. So you buy that and you're back to your spray tops. 
But taking it to the next level, that's just a, a plastic and, and glass bottle packaging, right? Our whole system of government on this whole thing has been woefully unprepared. When I'm being contacted by the USDA, the FBI, the FAA, the state of Utah, um, I, you know, those are just a handful of, of the entities that have contacted me over the last five weeks because they can't get access to supplies. Oh, Hill Air Force Base. We've sold drums of this to Hill Air Force Base, right? Think about that. F- I, FBI in Detroit, Oklahoma City, and the national level have called me looking for this. That tells you how woefully unprepared from the top down our government was that every agency has to be out there scrambling for themselves um, to get hand sanitizer at a time when it, it's considered kind of a critical need. You know, uh, these are people out on the front lines, um, you know, taking care of our food supply. You know, the uh, meat inspectors, you know, they showed up last week needing like 100 bottles. And, you know, you talk about hamburger, you know, one plant's already closed down and, you know, we'll probably see another couple closed down. And then that starts really affecting your ability to get meat. And, you know, it's, it's really all connected in a chain and um, it doesn't take much to knock it out of the whack. And um, I was at the store last night. There's still no toilet paper in Smith's in Salt Lake City. <laughs> it's crazy. We were able to snag some um, here at the Hurricane Walmart on Thursday when I went to the grocery store, but it was like, you know, a four pack. Yeah. And I have five kids. So we're, wow. we're, we're looking for different resources <laughs> right now. Wow. That's crazy. To me, that's crazy. You know, and I, I'm single, so I don't go through a ton of um, toilet well, paper. And you're a guy too. So yeah. <laughs> it's a little and easier. So, yeah. But now I'm, I'm in that role where if I walk into a store and there's toilet paper, I go, oh, I better pick up some for the office because, you know, who knows how long this is going to be, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's been eye opening for so many different reasons about how our, um, um, whole system works, you know, from, from government entities to supply chain stuff. We've learned so much. It's, um, yeah, never, never underestimated and never underestimate the ability for the whole system to be kind of tipped on its side. Yeah. As I'm standing back as just an observer watching, it becomes pretty clear that if, if necessities, if, if grocery stores don't have food, if, uh, we don't have, supplies to protect each other from this thing then like right now it's just a severe inconvenience with a lot of uh with a with a significant portion of death and and trauma attached to it but but it could be worse on that end but if you had if you took the supply chain and you said people can't get food people can't get toilet paper people can't get hand sanitizer people can't get if the system breaks down that next step and it wouldn't take much more for that to happen we kind of see it occurring it would be complete chaos. I mean, people talk about the apocalypse. I mean, if people can't get access to food, then you have to start stealing from your neighbor or you have to go somewhere and find your own. Right. Um, the whole system breaks down if that happens. I, I think there's a lot of truth to when Vice President Pence, for instance, and I don't want to get political, but when he pointed to the, um, I think it was the meat folks and said, you're crucial. Like right. you, you have to keep going to work. We need you to keep showing up. It's so important, right? Like if, if those supply chains break down, if there's an empty spot in, in the things that we need, um, all of us start turning on each other. Yeah. You know, I, our experience through this has been everybody has been really great. 
I mean, we, I don't have any, the, the first couple of days we were selling hand sanitizer, there were some hoarders, right. And I, um, that came in and tried to buy everything we had to put limits on. And then there were people tried to resell for big, big dollars. And we, you know, we tried to put messaging out to stop that, but that was very, you know, small potatoes compared to not having food, you know, and that sort of thing. And I think if we look to areas like New York who have been drastically affected by this, you know, I have friends in New York city who haven't been out, out of their house in 42 days. Right. I mean, this for, for us, it's been a minor inconvenience, I think in, in our area and out West and, you know, but, you know, think about Italians and New Yorkers and, and those people who have really lived this. And I've heard stories that there are no, there are, there is no food in the stores in, in New Jersey and New York because, you know, everybody has just been holed up for so long that they're, you know, they, they have stocked up on everything because you, you can't go to the store every day to get your stuff. So um, I don't even, I can't even imagine it. You know, I, I had a freezer full of meat when this started. I, I still have a freezer full of meat. You know, I haven't had any major problems. I, I'm, I feel pretty lucky the way this is all played out for us. Um, you know, and that's not to pretend it's all over either. You know, everybody's talking about getting back to work and everything now. And, you know, we'll see how all that plays out. Uh, you know, I hope it's for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Glad you're feeling a need though. Glad that, uh, you know, with the shortage of hand sanitizer and, and, you know, people being able to kind of keep things clean and kill germs that you guys are able to add a significant amount to the marketplace and, and get people access to things that protect themselves from, uh, from this, uh, as it, you know, as everybody points out, invisible enemy. Yeah. What I like to point out, this is interesting to me. And I learned, again, I come back to learning so much during this. Listen, no one needs hand sanitizer. Okay. That may sound weird coming from somebody making hand sanitizer. No one needs it. You just need to wash your hands, right? Wash your hands. Um, you don't have to hoard hand sanitizer. If you come into your house, wash your hands instead of using hand sanitizer. It takes a little bit longer, but it does the job, right? Where the critical need is, is in hospitals. And I learned this about the um, newborn infant care um, unit that before the advent of hand sanitizer, the infection rate with newborns that were in the ICU was about 25%. And that happened because doctors would, the rule was if you thought you would touch something between touching the baby, you would need to wash your hands before touching a baby again. Okay. That rule is still in place. But what would happen was people would forget that they had touched something, they'd accidentally touch something, and they would accidentally inf- cause an infection with, with the newborn. Now the rule is you wash your hands if you think you've touched something. If you don't think you've touched something, you use hand sanitizer, okay? So it's because it's quick and easy. And so now before any newborn is touched, they've either had their hands washed, the person's had their hands washed, or they've hand sanitized. The infection rate is almost zero now versus 25%. Those are the places that it's critical that there's hand sanitizer. And that's what we actually did when we started this was we allocated a large portion of our our production to critical needs and everything went to first responders and to nurses and, you know, at the university of Utah and IHC and everything. So, um, you know, sometimes you just have to think that, you know, you can actually, what you think is a, is a problem can be solved by just taking a little more time, i.e. washing your hands. You don't have to create a, a hand sanitizer shortage. Um, but I understand everybody's need for convenience and, and that sort of thing too. So cool. Well, Bill, I was having a hard time waking up this morning. You know how it goes. You stay up too late partying or hanging out with friends. And then you've got to get up early to record a podcast. 
So what do we do in those instances? And on every other day of the week? Coffee. Red Roca coffee. It helps you and me as we're awakening in the morning. My favorite brew is Heathens or Good Mojo. And sometimes I like it hot. In the summertime, every once in a while, I'll drink it cold. Red Roca Coffee is a small family-owned business here in the United States. If you need a cup of joe to help you awaken, give Red Roca Coffee a try. We're sure you'll like it. We're sure you'll like it. That's Red Roca, R-O-C-A, coffee.com. When you place your order, put in the code AWAKE. A-W-A-K-E. You'll get a 10% discount, and you'll get free shipping on orders over $30. Check out Red Roca Coffee today. Again, Red Roca Coffee. For those times when you need help awakening. I uh, I do want to ask, from just the alcohol standpoint, kind of maybe help us understand vodka better. Um, I, I didn't drink, you know, I was Mormon. I didn't drink for the first... Uh, 38 years of my life. Other, well, I shouldn't say that. I drank as a teenager before I joined the church. But most of my adult life, I've never touched alcohol. And when I drank as a kid, it was, you know, go buy the cheapest, you know, stuff through an older friend at the grocery store and uh, and then maybe some bottles of Bush Light on the weekends. Um, I'd like to know more about vodka. Like, tell me what, like, if somebody's new to the alcohol scene and new to drinking and they're trying to figure out how to use this stuff, what... How is vodka best utilized to make uh, make a good drink and have a good time? Um, yeah, wow, that <laughs> you're, you're going down. Yeah, you know, I, I think we can talk in the terms of spirits in general, right? Um, I mean, vodka is basically raw; it's ethanol mixed with water, blended down to forty percent. The whole goal of vodka is to be odorless and tasteless, right? Ethanol is always going to have a little bit of an odor, and it's always going to have a little bit of a taste. So. Um, the better your vodka, the closer it gets to those two two uh, ideals of tasteless and odorless. Um, so for me, I happen to be a vodka drinker um, because the older I get, the uh, the less calories I like to consume. And vodka is the lowest calories you can have out there. It's about four, 64 calories per ounce. So I'm a vodka water drinker with a squeeze of lime because you have odorless, tasteless product that you put – with some water and you squeeze in a lime and it basically tastes like um, a water with, with lime, you know, and it's locale. So that's, that's what I drink. Um, but because vodka is generally odorless and tasteless, it goes with almost anything. Right. And so that's why it's a, the most popular spirit. You can mix it with Kool-Aid or Coke or um, orange juice, you know, you name it, it's going to assume the flavor of what it's been put in. So vodka accounts for about 38% of the marketplace in sales just as uh, one one spirit. So if you think about it, um, the history of alcohol is amazing because really the whole goal of spirits, you could say, is to take something that tastes like crap and try to make it taste better, right? So vodka, the goal is to make it odorless and tasteless so it'll assume what you're in. You take tequila and you make a margarita – that's mixing it with lime juice and sugar to make it taste better, right? Every craft cocktail out there is that the goal is to take something that doesn't taste great and make it taste good, right? That's that's what the whole process is of cocktail making and alcohol, and you know, and like a lot of products like coffee or something or beer, um, you know, whiskeys they become an acquired taste. Most people, the first time they take a taste of whiskey. They don't go, oh, my God, that's the greatest thing I've ever had, right? It's, 
it's it's not how it works. It's it's an. Oh, I love place. it. I love the honesty I, here because it is. Oh, it's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had vodka once, just by itself, um, and it tasted like gasoline. It it was horrible, and I blame my friends Chris and Corey because we were in New Orleans, and we were at a club. And they wanted to charge like $300 a bottle for, you know, the $8 stuff you buy at the liquor store. Yeah. So they ran they ran to like Walgreens or something and they bought the bottom shelf vodka <laughs> yeah. Yeah. to bring back. And it was not. It, you know, it, it's, it's no, cheap vodka is not good. And what's happened? Let's, <laughs> let's, 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 it mildly. Let's talk about kind of the process because it actually ties back to hand sanitizer because this is, this is kind of interesting is that what makes vodka taste better, some vodkas taste better than others, really is filtering. It's removing chemicals, right? So when you make alcohol, you, you get all these propanols and um, ethanols and um, there's – there's about 10 different little things they call heads and tails that are. So if you think about ethanol being this band and you think the heads and tails are kind of this, and then you get the pure ethanol right in the middle. So those outer bands, the cheaper your vodka, the more of that stuff is getting into it. And those are the things that actually give you headaches and taste bad. And, and so we started making hand sanitizer with our vodka product, a food grade product that had been really super cleaned up because it's what we had on hand at the time. And since then, we've switched to an industrial grade ethanol, which has more of those heads and tails in it, right? So now we went to this really kind of an expensive, what should have been a super expensive hand sanitizer because you're dealing with food grade ethanol to a much uh, more um, cheaper and faster to make product, but now it smells like tequila. It smells <laughs> like it's got a scent to it because a lot of those heads and tails are still left in there. But in order to just pump it out, we've just decided we would live with that rather than have to send it through all the processing that would make it food grade when it doesn't have to be food grade to, to save people. Sure. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because I just got an email yesterday. It's like, hey, I've got two bottles. They smell great. And then I got another two that smell like diesel <laughs> fuel, right? Yeah. And it's not that so, bad, but it's, it's, it's got a scent to it, you know? I'm glad you're using up all the lower grade shit so that the good <laughs> stuff is left over that we can now drink. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, going back to the supply chain, it's amazing how this all ties together. It would not surprise me if down the road we see a shortage of food grade ethanol because everyone turned their food grade ethanol into hand sanitizer last month. And so it's like how much, you know, a lot of these major companies, you know, um, you know, like Tito's vodka, for example, not to mention competitors, but they're made in Texas, right? And they're the biggest vodka company in the, in the, in the world, but they're not made in Texas. They're, they're bottled in Texas. Their, their ethanol is coming from Kentucky and from the Midwest and from, these big plants that can produce it in just massive amounts. You know, they, they show a little copper still they've got there, but there's no way they could produce what they've got with the equipment they've got. So they buy ethanol. And um, I don't know, I'm sure there'll be a priority to these companies, but there are, you know, there's going to be shortages of, of, of food grade ethanol um, so until all of them catch up just because just like toilet paper, right? I heard this story about toilet paper. Really what, kind of helped the toilet paper craze 
was people were now at home and not using their work toilet paper, right? So you had to go out and buy eight hours a day worth of extra <laughs> toilet paper. Well, and your kids are home. <laughs> and the kids are home, right? And they, the toilet paper being used at school and all that sort of stuff. So it would not surprise me if when everything swings back the other way, if there's a shortage of toilet paper again, because now they're having to stock up all the places that we didn't be, you know, we aren't using toilet paper at because they didn't have to go replace it right now. So um, taking it back to the alcohol thing, uh, if the nice thing about any shortage there is there are all these micro distillers that can keep producing. They just, it's really slow. It's, it's a slow process. So it's good that we went to the liquor store before all of this started and stocked up, right? <laughs> We're still making alcohol and food grade alcohol and bottling and fulfilling orders. We haven't we haven't run into that yet, but but again, it's a little easier for us because we're we're fairly small in the grand scheme of things, right? Yeah, you know, I use the example of Tito's sells about thirty five hundred cases a month in the state of Utah, um, and that's one of their small markets. We do about seven hundred of our vodka. So, I mean, we're just tiny. We're tiny in comparison. So um, asking, asking for a friend, uh-huh. um, if, if my f- friend uh, stops drinking bottom shelf vodka and drinks the good stuff, like five wives vodka, they're going to get less headaches then and less, maybe a little less hangover, a little less headaches just for a friend. Not- um, yeah. Um, I like to say this, you drink enough of anything, it's going to hurt you. sure people die of drinking too much water right Um, Um, but you say that there is there is some data that shows that this the top and yeah pollutants that are in there and and your body doesn't process them as well and and yeah for sure you can have worse hangovers with certain products um but you drink it trust me i'm not gonna say our product doesn't give you hangovers you drink enough of any (laughs) any alcohol it's it does (laughs) Well, one of our one of my favorite things is as you're in the alcohol business, you you get these stories of people like, oh, I'll never drink that again, you know, or I had that and it made me sick. And it's like, oh, how many shots did you have? Well, I only had one. Oh, okay. How much did you drink before that? Oh, well, I'd been drinking all night. Okay, well, one shot of something might have put you over the top, right? But it wasn't that. It wasn't the cause? Yeah, it wasn't the cause. So you know, you, people are great story makers, and you know, that's it's. it's uh, especially drunk people. <laughs> <laughs> um, my sister-in-law is Natalie, and she said that your your vodka is way better than Tito's. Um, uh, she's a sweetheart. I'm, I'm going to have to go try. I just noticed on your website that there's like a a cinnamon roll type flavor, and, mm-hmm. and maybe it sounded like a butterscotch. Um, no, it's actually um, – we have a vanilla custard, so it's heavenly on one side and, and simple, simple on the other. I bet it's mixing – the two probably taste really good. Yeah, we call that a happy Christmas right there. Um, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> um, it, it is a good. It is good. Uh, yeah, our heavenly is this. It's a vanilla custard flavor, so it's kind of that buttery vanilla, um, and it's really um, grown a lot over the last couple of years because it's 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 a really great product. Um, and then the sinful is more of a cinnamon roll, and where sinful came out of is we saw the craze of. Um, fireball taking off in roughly 2013 2014 and we didn't have any whiskeys to bottle at the time and so we thought well we'll just make a cinnamon vodka to try to you know play in that flavor profile and that's where that originated and and it's slowly but surely gathered a lot of uh, a following of of consistent fans and i'm gonna um, have to try it i love cinnamon stuff but i don't oh. love fireball it's yeah. too 
this is the opposite cinnamon. There's I there's the candy cinnamon, right? Like a right. Red hot uh, yeah. hot tamale. That's the fireball flavor. Ours is more of that cinnamon roll, soft, just kind of a um, what you cinnamon coffee type flavor. Mm-hmm. I love it. Candy, yeah. So cool. I uh, <clears throat> it's it's interesting how the market is going to somehow change a little bit from all this going on with COVID nineteen. But they've a lot of the the alcohol industries are are pointing to data that shows that more people are trying drinking and and exploring that space now that a lot of people are stuck at home. And, and you know, you know, as well as I do, there's unhealthiness too, if people can abuse okay. these things, but, but I, it's going to be fascinating to kind of see the alcohol industry. Any, any thoughts from you on how the alcohol industry is changing uh, based on the people staying at home and, and how that's affecting drinking and what's going on there? Yeah. For me, it's all anecdotal right now, um, and I, I appreciate the fact you say. I always say there's some people that shouldn't drink, right? I mean, that's just that's how life is. Some people shouldn't drink. Some people shouldn't eat lots of sugars. Some people there's, um, and and so I don't ever want to be on here saying or on anything saying you know people should drink. It's it's the thing they sh- you know they do. I I operate in that space and I believe in freedom of choice, right? Um, the alcohol industry is interesting because about 10 to 15% of your sales happen what they call on premise, meaning at a bar or restaurant, right? You're drinking it on a premise somewhere. And um, with all the bars and restaurants shut down, everybody was concerned that uh, it was really going to hit the, the numbers of sales. But as you mentioned, people seem to be making up for that, sitting at home drinking. And uh, that's, they've actually, some of the numbers I've seen that were actually about 10% up across the board because people are drinking more um, because they're probably drinking every day. Um, I don't know. I, it's all anecdotal for me because I only get my numbers from the state of Utah once a month. And so I can say our sales in March were up um, about 50%, but I think part of that was just hoarding that happened because people were afraid that the liquor stores might be closing. So the April numbers will be the interesting ones to me. We don't see those until the first week of May. Um, but anecdotally, and I think a, a story I saw in the Tribune indicated that sales were up about 10 to 20% in Utah liquor stores. Um, so that means that – here's another way to break it down is when you go to an on-premise place, you're buying one drink at a time, one shot at a time, right? If you go to a liquor store, you have to buy um, 25 shots at a time. So you're just going to drink buy more per transaction at the liquor store. And so I think it'd be natural for there to be some sort of increase. Um, I think what's going to be interesting is when these bars and restaurants do start to open up, I'm sure they're going to limit the number of people who can go back into them, right? So if you have an occupancy of, say, 100, I don't know what the number is going to be, but let's say they limit it to 25%. So that means you're going to have 25% in your building, 25 people. Are those going to be venues people want to hang out in? Are they still going to want to just do pickup, you know, takeout type thing? Um, I don't have any desire to go hang out in a crowded bar right now. I don't trust the environment. Um, you know, it's, um, I, I don't, it's going to be fascinating to watch how, um, society just comes back to normal. If, if it does, I don't, you know, I'm not anticipating there being mass concerts or anything for the rest of the year, you know? Um, I, I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, marketplace, how far does, Five Wise Vodka, like geographically, where, where, I mean, obviously Utah, Idaho, um, but how far across the country is your brand uh, accessible? 
We are available. We do most of our sales in the state of Utah. And uh, we are in Idaho, Oregon, um, Montana, Wyoming, Michigan. Michigan carries all of our products. We actually make eight different products. I know we're talking a lot about Five Wise Vodka, but we make some whiskeys. We make some gin, a gin, Madame Paterini gin, which is a great um, Mormon story there too. Um, but uh, And we make Underground Herbal Spirit and then our four flavored whiskeys and a rye. And all of those are available in Michigan. Um, we have an online seller out of California, Great American Craft Spirits, and they can ship to most states. And so, you know, it's hard to say how how far reaches um, because they ship a lot. And right now, if you buy from them, we actually throw in a free bottle of hand sanitizer when they're making the purchase there. So that's an added bonus. Um, have it delivered right to your door and get hand sanitizer along with it. Uh, that's not for Utah, though, right? Like we can't order stuff and have alcohol shipped to our home. That is correct. That is not legal um, in the state of Utah. So dumb. Yeah. Well, the state of Utah legislature looks at everything from the perspective of children. And if there's any person, any time a child could get inserted into the the operation, like by opening the door and taking the package, then they're not going to allow it. That's pretty much how they do it because it's a nanny state. What can I say? <laughs> I, could, I could go off on tangents of things that Utah does that don't protect children too. So right, right. that are very unique to the state of Utah, right. but we won't go there today. Yeah. <laughs> Is so apparent when you've been here for 30 years, you know? But for uh, yeah, people, amen. People outside of Utah, they can go to that Great American Crafts and check out your different products. And Yeah, yeah, and Great American Craft Spirits. And if you just search for Ogden's Own Distillery, I think it'll bring up all of our products. So um, for people that are in Utah, where can we find, um, like I've never heard of your underground, um, where yeah, can they find that? At the liquor stores, all DABC really? stores. Yeah, carry it. Um, it's right next to the Jägermeister. Okay. Um, our Porter's whiskeys are all, you know, in the flavored whiskey area. Um, we make a, if you're a straight whiskey drinker, we're making this really nice rye whiskey. It's 95% rye, 5% barley. Um, that is kind of a traditional rye. Um, yeah, the other thing we do um, that is different than a, a lot of craft places is we, we keep our prices relatively low we're not bottom shelf product but we are we try to be mid-tier with everything and um you know a lot of craft stuff will they'll throw an extra ten dollars on it just because it's craft right but we never wanted to be niche players we were we were going for um directly after the the category leaders and so we've always been price lined with with jägermeister or with tito's or that sort of thing so we're um we're trying to grow, you know, from from basically nothing to a, a national brand. Um, and if you're going to do that, you have to do what the national brands do and compete at their level. So um, we keep our stuff affordable, reasonable. Love it, love it, love it. Um, anything else, Mikael? Yeah, I I I don't think I have any more questions. I just appreciate your time. I think it's fascinating that that you're able to switch from making um, alcohol to hand sanitizer. Um, I've seen some of your posts on Facebook as, as we got connected earlier this week. And I just, I appreciate you, um, like speaking out about things that you feel are, um, maybe not the healthiest and, and just being an activist and trying to help people. 
Um, so I just appreciate that. And I think it's super cool that, you know, my sister-in-law, Natalie, she's amazing. (laughs) I love her. You know, um, I, through this whole process, you know, and I, I can't, you know, I don't want to, this, this may sound like, you know, self-graduate congratulations type thing, but the first three weeks of this was overwhelming for us. Like, I mean, we were literally working 16, 17 hour days every day. We had no idea the need. Right. And my team has been amazing. And it's, it's, we've taken on the attitude of just whatever it takes, do whatever it takes. Right. And, you know, Tim Smith, we mentioned him earlier last weekend, he was in the building making hand sanitizer Friday it's 5 a.m. Saturday it's 5 a.m. Sunday at 5 a.m. so that he would have massive batches ready for our crews that would come in on Monday to get it all in the bottles, right? I mean, it's been that kind of effort. And we were, there was a time there where we were just exhausted and we were mad at each other and we were biting at each other and, you know, the whole team, the whole, not just Tim and I, but everybody, you know. And what's been amazing is, um, the other thing we've operated by is it feels good to do good. And when you get through those rough patches and you look back on it, it just, it's, it's felt great to know that we've made a difference um, over time. Um, and we've actually come out of it as a team stronger and much more communicative and less um, uh, what's the, yeah, I'm not married, never have been, but married to me, business partnerships are a lot like marriage. We got, you know, it's marriage without love. <laughs> and so um, you, um, you have a lot of the same problems. And, and as you know, and probably in a relationship, if, if you fight through those products, you come out with problems, you come out better on the other side. And that's really, I feel like over the last five weeks, our company has become such a better place because of just going through this meat grinder that it's been. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm so excited. You know, and I I throw on the level of that we're moving to a new place, right? I mean, think about picking up your whole operation and moving it over, and we're, we'll accomplish that. We'll go from being operational in our current facility on Friday to operational on a new facility on Tuesday, and uh, it's just it's been a Herculean effort by my whole team, and um, I couldn't be prouder. So awesome. Awesome. Well, we appreciate your time. Uh, listeners, uh, check out Five Wives Vodka. If you live in Utah, uh, when you go to the, the liquor store to get yourself ready to hole up in your house for a little longer, uh, check out Five Wives Vodka. Uh, awesome. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for your time and just appreciate the chance to have this conversation and to, to spend a few minutes with you and talk about your company. Thanks for having me. I'd like to add one last thing, and that's all of our profits from our sales are going to the bar and restaurant um, employees in Salt Lake and Ogden area. We've, we're donating. And so we made that commitment long before the hand sanitizer thing. We saw what this was going to do to that industry. And so not only if you go out and buy five wise vodka, you're supporting a local brand, but you're supporting local people. So that's cool. Okay. Thanks. Love it. Love it. We'll let you go. We're Mikel and I will kind of finish up, uh, uh, away from you and kind of just have some closing comments, but appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you very much. much. That was cool. Super interesting. I love it. Yeah. 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 He, um, Um, he was telling me he's from Texas and, um, I just think it's really cool how he and Tim kind of met and started this company and, and, uh, the things that they're doing right now. Um, like I saw a post that he made on Facebook about how COVID has impacted, um, some of the Indian reservations and, and some of the work he's doing to try and help make things better. I just think it's cool. 
people doing good things. Yeah, there was a uh, NBA jersey maker that right away did very similar thing to what Steve and his company did, which was they repurposed their production to make face mask and medical garb. Um, they had a bunch of material um, because people were at home and sports weren't really going on. There was less of a need for the jerseys and things. And so they just quickly repurposed their production uh, to make, to make uh, face mask and, and medical garb, which I thought was just everybody who's chipping in right now. Cause you're hearing stories of <clears throat> medical personnel having to use the same mask all day, or even the same mask, like multiple days or weeks uh, because of the shortage. Um, nobody in this country, the United States of America should have to jeopardize their health as a medical personnel to help treat these things. Um, but because of the supply chain, because of the lack of those things existing, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, the next time we all get together, Mikel, after this whole pandemic thing is done um, I, between um, you and me, let's find a bottle of five wise vodka and, and celebrate with a few good friends. You know what I mean? For sure. It yeah. Won't, it won't taste like gasoline. It won't burn my esophagus. If, if I would have knew there were less headaches from Seriously. buying bottom, not buying bottom shelf <laughs> vodka, I'd have stopped buying that shit a long time ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> no kidding. It makes sense though. Like you said, it it's yeah. the it's the additives or the other pollutants that don't get yeah. distilled the Im- out. The impurities. Of mm-hmm. So it's like okay. I almost thought he was going to tell me I could drink as much as I want and no. never get a headache again. No, that's not going to happen. Not, that's not going to happen. No, that's not reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my first. I don't want to take up too, too much more time, but when I was uh, 15 years old. In fact, it was my 16th birthday. I just turned 16. My best friend, Carlos, and my cousin, who I was also my best friend, Richie, uh, and me, we went to a Kroger store. And again, statute of limitations has run out, but we shoplifted. The You think the, those are out? Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> um, I know a person who took the lowest end vodka out of a Kroger grocery store out in the Midwest in Ohio. We went back to my cousin's house and the three of us sat upstairs and they had me drink uh, a bunch of that cheap vodka. And it was nasty. Like every drink was like, oh, I'm going to throw it. Oh, and, but by the end of the night I was so gone and it was nasty. And the next morning I knew that I drank bottom shelf vodka because I had a horrible headache. So I wish I'd known that sooner. I would have talked my friends into buying better shit for my birthday, you know? No, no kidding. I, I think back <laughs> to when we were in New Orleans and Finnegan and Corey went and picked up that. It was, it had, they said it was like $9 and they said they got it from the bottom shelf. And it was the worst tasting thing that I've ever had, but it beat not having any anything at all. Right, right. Like, like shitty alcohol is better than Water, no alcohol. Water, vodka. <laughs> Oh, and you got to have a way to pass the time during this, you know, being in your house and nothing to do. Yeah. Uh, What kind of shows? Are you picking up any new TV shows? We've watched all seven seasons of Alone. (laughs) (laughs) We watched one, by the way, and we really enjoyed it. It's good. You talked us into it and we loved it. Um, We. That's on Hulu, by the way, right? Yeah. So Hulu, everybody, the show Alone. Tell us the premise there, Mikkel. It is wilderness survival, but you are completely by yourself. So you're dropped off in some remote location. You're allowed to bring 10 items. And the winner, uh, like whoever stays out the longest, wins half a million dollars. Yeah. 
And some people bail in like two days and Four other hours, people like, get three days shy of that, you know, and they just quit. And and there's there's wild animals. They have to yeah. deal with weather and, you know, trying to find food. And it's it's interesting. It's really good. Um, we I've read a couple of books. I just picked up the book that um, Anthony told us about last week. So I'm starting that, How to Have Impossible Conversations. Um, we've gone hiking a lot. Pretty much it. We, uh, the show Ozark on I Netflix. I don't want like heavy, scary shit right now. Oh man. It's, it, it reminds me of like Breaking Bad and Walking Dead and, uh, 24. It's that kind of intensity. I don't. Every show shiz is happening <laughs> that, and, and I'm going to tell you, like, I, um, I, I don't, I don't mind that kind of stuff, but there have been a few moments where I was like gasping, like, oh my God, I can't believe they just did that in front of a camera. Um, I don't yeah. want to ruin it for anybody. If you want to, if you, if you're going to watch the show, then, then push mute right now for about 10 seconds. But uh, I'm going to say this. There's one part of the show where this guy, his wife just gets killed, but she disappears. He never even sees what happens to her. No body, nothing, but she was pregnant. So the person kills her, but takes the baby out of her and then leaves the baby all nice and clean, all wrapped up nice and cuddly for him to come home to, but his wife is gone. And a couple of days goes by, he's so depressed, he walks out into the river and he just takes the baby and just puts it in the water and holds it down. And you're left to think that he is drowning it, which it looks like he is. There's no offense or buts. He's also a minister. And after about 10 seconds of holding the baby underwater, he brings the baby up and then christens it and gives it the whole cross thing on its head. Oh. So it ends up not being that. But for 10 seconds, you're left to go, I don't... oh, my mother, oh, my, all <laughs> things that are holy, you know? That's <clears> horrible. <throat> I don't want to watch yeah. a show like that. <laughs> well, it's really good. <laughs> no. So Ozark on Netflix, everybody, check it out. Episode one. If you just watch episode one, you're like, I'm in. I'm in. I can't. I got to keep watching. I'm not watching it. Okay. And then um. <laughs> I, I got Kelsey started on the Goldbergs because it's hilarious. I don't know if you've ever seen the Goldbergs. That sounds familiar. What's the it's, Goldbergs? It's set It's set in the 80s and it, it's a... Uh, this family, there's Adam, a kid like that's like 10 or 11, and then his brother Barry and his sister Erica, and they, their mom, they call her Smother because she like smothers <laughs> them so much. And uh, their dad, and he's like, he just calls everybody a moron. You're, you're such a moron! You know, it's like classic 80s. It's so funny. Yeah, you could get away with a lot, sing a lot more than in the 80s. You could pretty much say whatever you want in the 80s and like everybody like, all right, whatever. whatever. Typical, <laughs> normal. We've lost a lot of words, but can't say now. <laughs> I can't even tell you what those words are now. I know, you can't. <laughs> Not that I don't know them, I just can't say them. You can't say them out loud. Right. Um, I'm reading a really cool book, too. Um, it's the head hostage negotiator for, uh, I don't know if it's the FBI or what what department in the U.S. government, but it's Never Split the Difference. Oh, I and, read that book. Uh, it's Chris Voss is the negotiator negotiating as if your life depended on it. And, you know, you and I talked about doing a conversation on the pawn shop business here in a few weeks, which we'll do. But there's a lot of these techniques where I'm already using in order to have these conversations go the way I want them to as I negotiate prices with the person across the counter. Um, so we'll bring some of that into that conversation as well. But just a fascinating book. I mean, this guy goes into these tense situations where it's life or death and he shares his hundred, you know, hundred mechanisms he uses to get the other side to bend to what he needs them to do. Pretty, pretty fascinating. So you're, 
you're reading a book on how to manipulate people to get them to do what you want to do. Exactly. Which we're all doing every day. And I'm just going to be better at it than the rest of you. (laughs) And, you know, in the business I'm in and working for a pawn shop, I mean, we certainly try to be fair, but there are conversations you have to, you have to manipulate to be the way you need it to be because you can't risk otherwise. Um, And so I think it'll be a fun conversation that you and I have uh, here in a few weeks. Um, Cool. Anything else from you? Um, I just want to like, we've had a friend who had uh, a loss this week. And so I just want to tell people Mm. if you are feeling alone, if you are struggling, if you feel suicidal, um, don't hesitate to reach out to support the national suicide prevention hotline. Their number is 1-800-273-8255. Intermountain healthcare, which is kind of Utah specific has an emotional health relief hotline and their number is 833-442-2211. Yeah, just a shout out to the Valencias and let them know how much we love them. And um, my daughter had had, um, a friend from Idaho who also attempted suicide on Monday and they took her off of life support last night. And so it's super sad time and... I just don't want people to feel like they aren't needed or wanted or to suffer alone. Yeah. As, as you guys are at home, all of us are, uh, all of us are feeling it to some degree, right? Like there's days where you're like, I don't want to be in my house anymore. Um, I'm one of the lucky ones in that I'm still working and I'm able to get out. Um, I'm also lucky in that my makeup is a little more, I don't, I don't really experience depression a whole bunch. But in the last month or so, there's been a day here or there where I'm like, ah, I don't really like, I don't really like this. And for those who feel it much more heavy, um, those who are feeling much more isolated and alone while you're in your homes, uh, like as you're pointing out, Mikel, like, would you please reach out, send us an email, send us a message, um, recall those numbers. Those folks are trained and professional at trying to help you. Uh, in your situation, I, I I can't imagine. I can't imagine all of the, the. We're all trying to protect ourselves, and we close things down, and yet there, as we've talked about, there's a cost to that too. Um, anyway, it it is sad. There's there's a lot of hurt and pain going on right now as people can't do what they want to do. Yeah. So love all you guys, and uh, glad you know glad that we're all kind of able to have conversations this way with technology today. Um, I can't imagine a hundred years ago. I think those feelings would be even more severe. So um, find ways to reach out to people you love and to stay in contact. And I like, we need to do better at checking on each other, you know, like reach out to people that you, you haven't talked to in a while and just let them know that you care about them and that you miss them. And sometimes that's all it takes is just someone saying, Hey, like I'm thinking about you. Yeah. Yeah. And we all got to get through this. Um, and with as much positivity as we can muster and, and on the days that are hard, again, like you're saying, find some way, talk to somebody that loves you and can give you some words of encouragement and help lift you up. All right. Um, sorry, we didn't end on a super happy note, but, uh, it needs to be said. Yeah, it needs to be said. And I'm glad you shared the numbers. Share them one more time, by the way. Okay. The national suicide prevention hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And the Emotional Health Relief Hotline is 1-833-442-2211. Cool. And uh, Courtney wrote, thanks, Five Wives. Our business picked up 15 gallons. This was hand sanitizer. To donate to Utah teachers that are running low. They have been very appreciative 
of your efforts. Keep up the good work. Um, uh, just a, just a shout out again to five wives vodka and for all that they're doing. Appreciate Steve and his time on the conversation today. Uh, check us out at almostawakened.org. If you can donate, please do. It's, it's the, you know, if Mikel and I are going to keep this going for years and years and years, uh, having conversations about all these various topics that influence those of us who have begun to wake up, uh, those donations are crucial and uh, check out uh, Red Roca Coffee with the code AWAKE, A-W-A-K-E. And don't hesitate to reach out for those who are listening. If you want to see us cover a certain topic, things that are coming up, we have an interview with an industry leader on cannabis. Um, we have another conversation with a gentleman on astrology. Um, we have a conversation with a uh, professor whose expertise is on polygamy and not necessarily Mormon polygamy, but just polygamy in general. So those are some fascinating conversations that are coming up. Um, to look forward to as well. And uh, anything else you want to mention, Mikhail? No, I'm just excited for the next couple of weeks and just wish all of our listeners and everybody that we love them. Yeah. Love you guys. Have a great day. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.